Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the future of biotech. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's co-host, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, the co-host of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a technology platform where we're organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise in order to enable biotech companies to accelerate the development of new therapeutics. I'm very excited to welcome Florian Wegner, co-founder and CEO of Zagino, to the podcast. Florian, thanks for joining us. As a starting point, we'd love to just begin with your background and what led you to found Zagino. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure being here. My name is Florian. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Zagino. As a background, I've always lived in the life science space. In fact, I'm a cardiologist by training, so I went to med school in Germany and in the United States and in Canada, and then wrote a thesis on heart rhythm disorders back in, in Frankfurt. I started as a cardiologist and conducted a specific heart cath and pacemakers and ICDs that I would implement into, into patients. And at some point, I left the hospital when I was around 30 years old because of two reasons, really. One, I was always interested into building something. That time, I, I didn't even know the term entrepreneur, but I always you know, wanted to create something that would have impact on many people. At the same time, I was a little bit discouraged of being a young resident in a university hospital because I would either work on patients all day long and during the night, or I would be in a lab. And, and that's where... I felt pretty lonely, and that's why I decided to leave this environment, which, which I had initially liked a lot, but then started to work with uh, the Boston Consulting Group. So I worked with BCG for six years, always between big pharma and biotech companies. I also learned about payers, and I worked you know, most of the time either in the States or in, in Europe. At some point, I was able to do my MBA, and, and BCG sponsored this. And so I, I lived in Madrid when I was uh, 33 for one and a half years. I went to a school called IE Business School. It's one of the leading entrepreneurial schools in Europe. And in fact, every third person I you know, met at that time was an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I think I really started liking this environment and I was inspired by people who had great visions, but at the same time worked very hard and in a very systematic way. After that, I first had to go back to BCG. That's, that's part of the deal, it's fair. And at some point, then I decided to join Kyogen. Kyogen is one of the leading biotech companies. And being at Kyogen, I worked closely together with the EC members and the CEO and the CFO. In fact, I reported into the CFO directly for more than two years. I found myself in a turnaround situation at Kyogen where Kyogen had just decided to let a few hundred salespeople go, uh, predominantly here in the United States. Reasons for that were really it's getting harder and harder for suppliers to speak to the researchers. People in our days, and I bet most of the people you interview, these are the people who do the research and who create the value for the companies. And, and so you don't want those people to speak to a few hundred salespeople from different suppliers every year. And in fact, that's what I observed when I was with Kaijin and in a nutshell, I was allowed to, to build their e-commerce team globally. So I hired around 70 people. We launched web shops in 16 countries. We really brought all the Kaijin portfolio at that time closer to the end customer. 
And at the same time, while this was also economically extremely successful for Kaijin, we really brought it up to 400 million of revenues within a few years, we also learned that the need for researchers to find the right product for the experiment, to decide on the supplier, to order this product, and to finally work with the product, and to learn how to handle the product in this very specific setup, is very painful. It's, it, it's in fact probably unknown to most people who look at the very impressive life science research industry from the external side, because they just hear about you know those mega billion investments and M&A transaction, and they hear about the next blockbuster and curing cancer and you know food safety and, and so on and so on. What they don't know is that researchers every day globally suffer from this pain to identify the right product and to just at your ease to order this product and just like in an Amazon-like setup to ensure that they find the right product and they get it right away. So having said this, this is basically a bit of the background I had. And at that time, as a former medical doctor, still medical doctor, still have the license, <laughs> uh, as a consultant in that area and as someone who had worked on, on the supplier side, I understood that there's a need for digital aggregation. And at that time, I met my co-founder, David Pumberger, who was uh, a PwC consultant helping me uh, with the Kyogen project. And we decided that it's time to build a company which would aggregate the supply and the demand. And this is where we started Sagino. I would love to just learn more about the founding story in terms of how you and your co-founder came together and, and over what period of time. So in fact, when you start a company, I think it's key that you don't only have a great vision and a good business plan, but in fact, and I think most VCs would agree to that, the team is everything. And so David and me are very complementary from our skill set. David is an extraordinary person who has a PhD in math. He has studied in, in the UK. He's an Austrian by birth. He lives in Zurich, Switzerland, and has also has his PhD from ETH Zurich. And he's a former PwC management consultant that, in fact, I hired when I was a Kaijin customer to him. And so it was a funny setup how we met, but we realized that we can work together very well that again, we have complementary skill sets and that the solution we built for this one supplier at that time was very successful. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where we knew we already went through a digital transformation at one supplier and we knew that not everyone had been a huge fan from day one on when, when you drive change and, and a digital transformation. And it had been dramatically successful and it had been a pleasure of working with him, and it still is every day. In that perspective, it sounds like both of you have had the opportunity to work together at Kaijin, and uh, I think you had mentioned that uh, you were able to grow revenues for the e-commerce platform to a few hundred million dollars a year. It seems like a pretty awesome go-to-market channel for a single supplier. So what was the opportunity that you saw when you thought about the suite of suppliers coming together along with the challenges that end users faced in this highly dynamic biotech and research environment when you started Zagino? As a researcher or as a research lab, what we see is research lab orders on average from a few hundred suppliers. Can be, you know, just 200, but some of the larger accounts we work with, in fact, order from a few thousand suppliers in this space. And the reason for that is threefold. One, a researcher always wants to get the very unique product that works best for the very unique experiment. Second, the innovation in our industry 
is largely driven by small spin-offs of universities and startups, especially here in the Cambridge area in Massachusetts. And at the same time, when you look at the value chain of Big Farmer, biotech to me is a supplier of Big Farmer, so to say the outsourced R&D part of the industry in, in many cases. And these three reasons will continuously lead to a very fragmented industry. So in fact, we see thousands and thousands of small but important and unique suppliers in the long tail. And we see just a few large global distributors and I would say around 40 category leaders. And actually at, at Segino, we offer the products of most of these suppliers on, in, in a one-stop shop. So today, Segino offers access to more than 3,000 suppliers with more than 11 million SKUs. So we are today by far, we offer the largest product portfolio in the industry. Mm -hmm. And to finally answer your question, mm -hmm. um, it is so much easier to find the right product in this one-stop shop. And for the first time, Segino, you can compare products across all of those suppliers. And then this is, I guess, which is uh, what, what you call the marketplace aspect of, of Segino. Hmm. You know, I think one of the interesting things that I've observed in general business historically is that you have a fragmentation of a new market as it grows, but then also consolidation at some point. Given that you have 3,000 plus suppliers right on the Zagino platform, life sciences, especially the supplies component, has always been a highly fragmented landscape. Do you see that staying the same or do you see some bigger players coming and gobbling up that long tail to agglomerate a lot of that innovation? Yeah, excellent question. I personally believe that it will stay so fragmented for the next decades. And the reason is... I think it's it's twofold. It's on one side that the biotech companies that uh, truly drive innovation, that are encouraged enough to go out there and try something new, that have access to venture capital, that actually really are fearless, so to say. These people are more successful in identifying the next big opportunity. And at some point later, at the later stage, they need more capital to basically test the product that they came up with. On the other hand, you see Big Farmer as, I think from a Big Farmer perspective, it just economically makes more sense to divest your portfolio. And if I were the CEO of, uh, let's say, Novartis, I would rather invest into 1,000 smaller startups with some traction and then potentially identify the next 50 that I would invest heavily into mm -hmm. instead of trying to build this all myself. Mm -hmm. And pivoting a, a bit, you talked a little bit about the number of suppliers and the hyperfragmentation. How have you gone about organizing this very complex heterogeneous space where there's so many different SKUs that you're offering? So what Sagino is doing is creating a taxonomy. When you think of the suppliers, every supplier calls certain product categories slightly different. And again, what I learned when I was on the supplier side is that this is wanted because they also have investors, no matter what size you have or if you're publicly listed, and you depend on financial analysts and their reports. And so what you want to achieve is you want to be innovative, but you also want to be able to position your company and the very specific product portfolio that you have as very unique and ideally as a category leader. Mm -hmm. So... If you take this all together, it all makes economic sense, but it makes it very hard for the end user to compare products, to find the right product, and 
to gain transparency on performance and pricing. And so what we did was we built around 160 product categories. It's still growing, despite the fact that we already have these 11 million SKUs online. And we, so to say, cut the market in a certain way, which tries to inherit all of those different product categories from those many, many suppliers. At the same time, we offer certain features, especially the so-called scientific scoring system. The scientific score is an objective way to prioritize products based on their performance. And what we actually do is we scrape millions of scientific peer-to-peer reviewed publications and we read out automatically the method part of such papers and count how often certain SKUs or products are being named and create a scoring system. And, and so when you as an end user go on Sagino, you type in a certain methodology or method that you want to use for your experiment, you will find maybe hundreds of suppliers for this very specific testing. Then you can basically, like on Amazon, zoom in and you know highlight certain characteristics of the product you're looking for. And at some point you end up with, I don't know, maybe 50 products or so, and you can compare them to each other. And very often you will be surprised that you find suppliers you've never heard of. And naturally, and I can say that as a former researcher myself, when you think of your experiment, the last thing you want is you don't want to use a product that might not work. And so long story short, when you see a score of, I don't know, 4.7 or 6.5 on Sagino and the scientific scoring system, you know it works. It's a very interesting indicator of trust right? Rather than having folks go and research a particular product type and, and really dig in deep, if you're able to add credibility to a particular product with this mechanism, it's it's quite powerful. We've been, we've been thinking about ways to build in trust when we're sharing our suppliers. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite an interesting approach. Well, you know, I think it also in the domain of, say, assays or reagents as an example, right, adds a data-driven aspect to it as opposed to just pure hearsay. Because I think also we've seen that, especially for, say, animal-derived materials, you have high degrees of variability from batch to batch, sample to sample, supplier to supplier. And so it's interesting to be able to have a more data-driven, publicly available, almost not exactly open-sourced, but one that, you know, if someone actually went and perused the literature, they'd come up with a similar assessment as you guys are doing in a more automated way. In that perspective, how much of the work that you see Zagino doing maps to sort of different modalities and the growth of these new types of science as well as these new types of medicines that people are bringing to market. Good example being perhaps the transition from small molecules to large molecules and now say cell therapies. How has that extended perhaps the portfolio of capabilities or offerings that Sagino provides? What we see is that there's a lot of funding going into new approaches. Mm-hmm. And I must admit that we also track the funding situation of the companies we work with and prospective customer accounts. And so what you see there from this perspective is that there's a hype around sequencing and there's a lot of money going into this. And it's interesting because when you think of our end customers and you speak to purchasers that we'll speak about this later about the the SaaS aspect of the marketplace solution we're offering but when you speak to these people they naturally speak about products that are easy to understand because they're not researchers right Mm -hmm. 
And so they will speak about gloves and they speak about products that everyone can relate to. And then the researcher come from very different angles. So as you just said, and, and they are looking for very innovative new approaches, how they run their experiments. And that is why we offer all of the new products as well. In fact, we have interesting, I would call it small to mid-sized biotech companies as customers that in case they already offer a product, very often first start working with us on the purchasing side where they use us as the one-stop shop for their entire company. But then in a, in the next wave, when they basically went through some of their trials successfully, they use us as a distributor. So I think that tells you a lot about how not only from a product portfolio, but also from a relationship that we have with our accounts. Mm -hmm. And so I well, would love to just dig in into how the marketplace works and what the, what the business model is. So there is a marketplace aspect. So when you go on Sugino.com, you can just type in a product or an experiment or a certain methodology to basically then narrow down the, the product catalog. I think what is really important to understand that we don't end there. In fact, you only have access or you only gain access to the entire product portfolio when you are a customer account that closely works with us. And for such enterprise accounts, we really become the number one marketplace that they're using. So we usually see 90, 95% of their spend exclusively going through Sejunit, which is a huge game changer in this industry. Historically, even the global distributors have only seen 15 to 30% of the spend coming out of an account. And that probably limits their ability to predict what product you really need as an end customer. I mean, the power of an Amazon-like marketplace really is that when you see all the spend, when you see all of the experiments, you can actually predict better what other product this account might need, sometimes before the end customer is aware of it. Mm -hmm. And besides of that, we offer approval processes. So that is of major interest to well-funded, small, but fast-growing biotech companies here in the Cambridge area and in, in other biotech clusters, like in Germany, the UK, where we're also operating. And they very often do not have the capabilities to have an entire large purchasing team on the ground. They usually don't have an ERP system, an SAP Oracle system in place at the point when they start a relationship with us. We not only offer the marketplace, but we offer the approval processes. And on top of that, we consolidate all the invoices and the payment processes. So what does that mean? That means that if you're a customer and you order from a few hundred suppliers through Sagino, we will send you one invoice instead of a few hundred, and you will pay us once, and we will then distribute the money to the suppliers. Mm -hmm. And so, so there is this aggregation on the end customer side, which is also very beneficial for the supplier side as we not only sell for them, but we significantly lower the operational cost. Mm. So, you know, as you think about the opportunity to take your technology and, and opportunity that a marketplace provides for the ecosystem, what do you think is sort of the next phase of Zagino's growth when it comes to serving the market and life sciences better? Is it new types of services and capabilities? Is it going and getting the rest of the marketplace? Is it other integrations? Like, how do you think about that next phase, that second act for the business? Already today, we integrate into ERP systems on the end customer side, as well as on the supplier side. So ideally, an order goes seamlessly through the Sagino platform 
to, I'd call it the warehouse, and the <laughs> truck starts the engine, right? Mm -hmm. So we do not distribute. We're really a digital matchmaker. Second, we are currently in the process of enlarging our catalog. So despite the fact that we already offer so many kits and consumables and antibodies and so on, we do not offer instruments yet. I also think that will stay like this for a while, just because we learned that there's always a very special relationship in place when research facility decides to buy a big platform. I mean, we offer platforms up to, I would say, 10K or so, but we're not offering the newest and the hottest sequencing mm -hmm. uh, instruments yet. And then third, we are now expanding our platform regarding lab services. So Science Exchange is, is one of our partners. And, and Science Exchange is a cost, another startup or more established company that, that offers to big pharma companies to outsource their R&D activities mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And, and so currently we're uploading their catalog because that's something that big pharma is asking us to do. If there's one thing you, you want to take away from our conversation today, it's really that we're trying to serve our customers so well that we, in fact, grow with the customer and their needs. I think this all explains a little bit how we're trying to grow. It makes me think of just your background. So you've come from, obviously, healthcare, then management consulting, then worked at a biotech. Now you're running a, a tech company. What's one lesson that you've learned now being in the tech industry that you wish biotech would adapt? It's funny that you're asking this. When I was on the supplier side, I was the one vice president who would hire all the people who didn't have biotech background. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that led to a lot of discussion, even with the CEO and the CFO. I, I remember situations where people said, hey, Florian, it sounds great that this digital marketing person has all of those capabilities, but has she maybe studied biology? And I said, no. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason to, to study biology. I mean, it's great if there's someone who has studied biology and is a great uh, lead generator in marketing, but it's really not necessary. So when I think of biotech today, people should feel encouraged to hire very diverse backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So in fact, at Cigino, we have nearly 30 different nationalities. Mm. We have only 80 employees mm. these days. So it shows you, it illustrates that we're mm. truly an international and diverse place to work at, which um, can be really interesting from time to time. But um, <laughs> all in all, it, it makes us stronger, mm. right? And I think when I think of tech companies, also tech companies should not only hire tech people. Yeah. Because you need biotech people. So in fact, when I think of our content team, we have a scientific content team, I think most members of the scientific content team have a PhD. Mm -hmm. They've studied for a long time. They have a very deep knowledge and understanding of experiments, the pain that researchers and suppliers feel. In fact, they teach our product team a lot mm -hmm. and they work with the end customer. And then they also connect with the customers that we have easily. Mm. It, it, it's just bringing researchers together virtually or in, in the real world mm -hmm. And they conduct conversations that I couldn't uh, completely have, right? Mm -hmm. And it's thinking of me here, but when you think of every individual of the Sagino team this way, it explains why it's so important to think out of the box and hire people from across the street and uh, from other industries. Yeah. So I guess along a different vector when it comes to technology, now that you've seen 
ecosystems that span the EU, Boston, or the US. Can you give us a sense of what the differences or maybe the similarities are between tech cultures between sort of those different geographies? Sagino is a US Inc. Delaware, and the headquarter is here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We also have a very large office in Berlin. Uh, so in fact, the majority of people working for Sagino currently resides in Berlin. And when I compare those two different eco slash biotech ecosystems, I can make a few observations. So one, Berlin is very international. It's in fact more international than Boston. People would be surprised. I think it's easier to hire tech talent in Berlin. It's much harder to acquire biotech talent in Cambridge. Mm. So, so when I think of the team, we have probably more tech people in, in Berlin and, and at the same time, purely uh, tech people here in Cambridge. Mm. So when I think of Berlin, it's easier to get biotech people. And we have the content team, the product team, even the engineering team are all based out of Berlin. And, and we have more sales and marketing digital people here out of Cambridge. I think that's one aspect, talent. The other aspect is access to venture capital. The access to venture capital here in Cambridge is amazing. <laughs> the last financing round was led by General Catalyst. General Catalyst is one or, from my perspective, the leading tech investor on the East Coast in North America. Mm -hmm. And it is truly a pleasure working with them. This goes way beyond writing a check. We have people working constantly with us. In fact, one of the associates will is currently joining Sagino as chief of staff. We have more of a junior partner who's not only director of the board, but who's a great coach and someone who opens doors for us. We have Larry Barn as a, you know, one of the key investors at GC who loves uh, companies that are at the edge of biotech and tech. And, and that's clearly where, where Sagino is positioned. On the other hand, in Berlin, a lot of uh, the larger tech investors are really more across the country. So in fact, the two very great investors we have, because they've uh, for more than 20 years always looked at biotech and invested into biotech companies here in Cambridge and at the same time in tech companies in Berlin, so they match perfectly with our mission, are Grazia Equity and Capnamic Ventures. But at the same time, they're not that much aggregated, all of those venture capital firms in one place, mm -hmm. namely Berlin. When you go fundraising in Germany or in, in France, you have to travel Europe. <laughs> you go to London, you go to Helsinki, you go to Madrid, you go all over in Germany and so on. And, and so I think these are just some of the very specific characteristics of Cambridge, where Sagino is located in the heart of Cambridge at Central Square. And the reason really is that we have access to talent and investors, but also, and this is the third point, to our customers. So within a few square miles, we have a lot of um, our existing customers and potential new customers and suppliers. Hmm. And so I think all in all, our setup is pretty lean and it's uh, smart as a company. And for me personally, I, I like Cambridge and Boston very, very much. One comment that you made that I thought was particularly interesting was how in Europe, you'd have to fly from country to country internationally, right, to raise any round. What advice do you have for European entrepreneurs who perhaps are, say, setting up a U.S. branch or are doing a fundraising round from investors based in the U.S.? What advice would you give them about the ecosystem or the process here versus what you've experienced uh, in the EU? First of all, you have to be here. And it means 
that one of the founders or all of the founders have to live here. I think when I moved here a year ago, that made a dramatic change, uh, how we were being perceived from the VC community mm. and, and it led to the GC leading the last round. Presence is, is key. Second, the way how you position and market and sell your company is a bit different. So in Germany, you, you would speak about all the good things, but you would also mention the not so good things. Mm -hmm. And what I learned here is that people are better in marketing. They're a little bit smarter how to position their company in the context of the, the greater good. And that's something we had to learn. And the feedback we are, we're getting, and I, I, I got this just earlier today from, from our chairman of the board, Joe van Rickenbach, who is the founder and uh, former CEO and chairman of the board of Parkcell. Mm. He said, hey, Florian, you really have to learn to speak uh, a bit more positive about Sagino because people subtract a lot here in this country. And, and so there are cultural differences around the positioning. And you should not be shy to share your, your large vision with the VCs here. And then I think one of the third things really is, though, what I learned also is that behind that very great marketing surface, operations need to work, customers need to be there, people need to pay you for your services. So all the things need to be there and, and aligned. And what I would really want European founders to know is that they should way earlier start building trust by, by visiting Cambridge and Boston and, and sharing their vision early on with uh, venture capitalists, especially when they're in a setup where they do not need money. You want to start this at least a year upfront, the next financing round, and you don't only want to do this to position yourself and appear on the radar of the venture capitalist, but you also want to learn who are the people you want to work with, who are venture capitalists that really engage with you and help you on the way to the next financing round. And when you find someone like that, then you better close the round. <laughs> <laughs> Was the primary reason that you moved from Berlin to here, access to capital and also the ecosystem around biotech? It was always a, a no-brainer for David and me that one of us should be moving to Cambridge yeah. it, due to the fact that, you know, most of the suppliers are here. It's this very vibrant ecosystem. Yeah. And um, I think access to venture capitalists was just one of the reasons. But the main reasons really for us was that the biotech industry is located here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll flip the question that Alok asked a bit. And given all the inefficiencies that we have in biotech right now, if you think about you know, someone who has a deep background in biotech or pharma and are facing some of these inefficiencies, what advice would you give them if folks have an idea that they're quite passionate about pursuing? I think in biotech, what we see is more and more like in the tech world. So in tech world, people speak of environments where you have access to an office where you have access to internet, where you have access to talent. Some of those companies are currently on the news. And then in the biotech world, what we see is that there are more and more incubators as well, where you can early on, when you do not have a lot of access to capital, but a great idea, start working at the bench. Mm -hmm. And what I would suggest though is that when entrepreneurs want to do this, that they really look at all the different options out there at the same time, 
Think about services like Sagino, where you can outsource a lot of the heavy lifting. So when you want to rent a research lab, you want to take the one where there is less work for you to do. When you think about running the experiments, you want to be somewhere where you have access to talent to do that, or you outsource the entire experiment. That's a model that we've seen more and more. Yeah. And then from an efficiency perspective, again, you want to use uh, tools that save researchers critical time, like Sagino. At Sagino, it's in fact at least a week per researcher per year that we save people using mm-hmm. our software. And I bet there must be other solutions out there for other aspects than, mm-hmm. than the purchasing part. And, and all in all, the tech world enables the biotech world and vice versa. Maybe before we close here, I think we're all really impressed and excited with what you guys are building at, at Zagino. And I think it highlights the opportunity that technology brought from a conventional horizontal perspective, a marketplace, right? The kind of value it can deploy in the context of bringing medicines to market. And the analogy that I often think might uh, use in this context is that, and they use this in the tech VC world that I'm sure you're familiar with, Florian, is that the folks who make the picks and the shovels in the gold rush, right, are the ones who make really the most amount of money compared to the miners who are (laughs) prospecting. And I kind of feel that the platform that you've built is the digital equivalent of that marketplace for picks and shovels for a very growing industry that I think very much needs the service that you're providing. So I think uh, we're all really excited to see what Zagino does in the next decade of its life and hope to have you again on the on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that most of people using our services will find a lot of gold nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, so Lorraine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's produced by Jean Merlane, edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050Pod. Again, that's Biotech2050Pod. Until next time.